Thank you. Mike and Dave and Nancy, appreciate that. James chapter number 5, we'll look at verse 13 and 14 again. Verses 13 and 14, James chapter 5, as we continue our look at practical Christianity revealed. And part 29b, you'll see it up here above, beyond, behind me. We'll get in just a moment what we covered last week, but let's look at our passage and be reminded what the Holy Spirit led James to share with you and I as members of the church and family of the church. He challenged us in verse 13, James chapter 5 and verse 13, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, just quick review. You probably hear this a couple of weeks ago. Most of you were, but we looked at that first question. Are you afflicted? We saw the typical response. It's emotional. It's a fleshly emotion running away with us, as we might say. Our emotions ran away with us. And that's, that's the typical response. And we asked ourselves, what are my typical response? Where do my emotions and feelings take me? What kind of mood dominates me in response to any type of affliction, trouble, trials in my life? Where does it take me? Where, how do I typically respond? And then we saw the touted re- remedy in this passage is simply this, to pray. Remember, we saw three things that God says or we see borne out in Scripture about prayer. Number one, God turns troubles into tadpoles. How does He do it? Well, through prayer. Prayer can pre-prioritize one's thinking and focus. Without prayer, afflictions, troubles, and trials become wills. <laughs> They're huge things in our lives. But when we pray about it, God has a way of reducing them just down to a tadpole. And not that big of a deal like we thought it was. Now, prayer does that. It ministers to us in that way. Number two, God turns troubles into triumphs. You know, sometimes when we pray, God answers our prayer directly, immediately, responsively in our lives. And that's a tremendous thing. He can remove afflictions and hardships. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And then number three, God turns troubles into tools. Sometimes God designs it and wants it to be a tool in our lives by which grace is released to sufficiently enable us to endure the infliction to go through it. Paul's a great example of this, isn't it? Uh, in response to his thorn in the flesh, the reality that he had uh, there an affliction, God gave him grace and said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And so we see that challenge there. I, I think one of the great uh, hymns that we are familiar with is, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a great hymn, right? And it's describing Jesus as our friend, but do you realize what the overarching theme or encouragement of the song is? Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's why he's such a great friend, because we can take it to him in prayer. You remember the verses. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. My friend, that's some pretty good theology. In a hymn we sing, and why is he such a great friend? Because you and I can take afflictions to the Lord in prayer. That's what James is saying here. He's challenging us. I like what one old preacher said. He was uh, sick, and he had had a, a series of sickness. In fact, it led to his death. And in doing so, he was laid up. He was on his bed, and a friend came to visit. The friend came to visit the preacher. And uh, certainly in conversation, seeing him there, he, he, he was saddened to see his old friend, the, the preacher, in such a, a serious way. He was seriously sick, obviously. 
bedridden. And the friend finally in the conversation, he just looked at the preacher, kind of shook his head and said, well, I sure am sorry to, to see you lying there on your back. Preacher just kind of looked up at him. He kind of smiled. And he said, do you not know what God puts us on our backs for? Friend said, no. The answer was simple. In order that we may look upward. How true it is. Afflictions, and sometimes those health afflictions were put on our backs, so you and I will do exactly what James says. Is any afflicted? Look up. Pray. Talk to your heavenly Father. We said this important note, and I can't uh, say it enough, and I want to reiterate it. What is advised here, this touted remedy from James... Prayer it is not something that you and I are supposed to combine with our fleshly reaction. You remember that, our fleshly response. It isn't that, okay, I'm going to pray, but I'm also going to let my emotions run away with me. What happens when we do that, when we respond to affliction and trials and troubles by just simply adding the biblical remedy to what we naturally do? You know what happens? We become discouraged and despondent that God's ways don't work. But the problem is you and I have messed it all up because we've hung on to the old flesh. We try to handle it ourselves in that affliction. We've responded in our old flesh. And so this is a recommendation not to add our typical response to the biblical remedy, but to kick that to the curb and say, no, I'm going to be spirit yielded and just invite in the remedy of prayer. Too often we add the biblical remedy to the mix and our emotions and moods are still all over the place. We look to God and tell him that his plan doesn't work. It is powerless or has minimal power because we aren't using it correctly. Uh, We aren't using it correctly. Great challenge. Now we turn our attention to that second question. You see it there. We read it a moment ago. It's simple this, and we'll kind of reword it for our sake of our outline. Are you married? Are you married? We want to first grasp the overall emphasis here, the teaching. As a believer, when you and I are troubled, we're to seek refuge and respite in the prayer to God. We see that. That's the first, are you afflicted? Pray. Okay, so uh, we understand that. But yet here now, he says, when you are joyful and happy, we're to seek expression of that happiness, that merriment. How? Well, praising God. Literally, notice the text, singing praises. Singing psalms. Psalms is another terminology. That word there literally means praises to God. Singing psalms. Singing praises to God. Now I want you to see, it's important for us to understand what's the thrust that James is getting at. And boy, this is so crucial to the Christian life. It's this. Notice it. He's saying this. As children of God, our whole life should be centered around the throne of God should be centered around the throne of God. So everything that transpires in my life brings me back to the throne of God. Whether I'm there begging for mercy, pleading my cause and my case and my affliction, or I'm having such a great time, I have peace in my heart, it ought to propel me to go to the throne of God and praise Him. So my life should be focused in and focused on and around the throne of God. Why? Because that's where life flows. Look at Revelation. (laughs) That's where life flows from, the throne of God. It's a great challenge. It's really his thrust through it all. And yet, you know what we're reminded in this verse? It's something I'm very thankful for. I want to praise God tonight that there is balance in our lives. That there are times of affliction and there's times of merriment. There's times that are challenges to us, and honestly, we've said it before, there's some days we're just glad we make it back to our bed. 
Erica spoke to the <laughs> Erica spoke to the young ladies at the conference yesterday, and she used something a part of her slides. I love it. And the young ladies, you might remember it. It's the cat, and he's spread out on the arm of a couch, and he says, "I love this couch. It understands me." And the cat's face is buried in the in the end of the couch. I love that. I say that to my bed all the time. <laughs> my bed understands me. <laughs> You know, sometimes we have those days, right, where the afflictions are heavy and hard, and, and boy, I, but, but aren't you thankful tonight that God all, also gives you days you don't want to end? Days of merriment, happiness, and boy, just a fantastic day, and He's blessed you in so many ways. I'm glad the God of heaven, our sovereign God, sees fit to allow us both afflictions and times of merriment, both sorrow and gladness. But what is this Mary that he speaks of in the passage? We have to define it. We want to understand what it is James speaks of. Well, it's derived from a Greek word that literally means cheerful. Cheerful, a cheerful countenance. God loves a cheerful giver. And so we see this idea, this, this picture in the Greek, it's cheerful. It's here used to describe, now here's the key, you don't want to miss this. It's describing here a state of one's soul and mind being happy, cheerful, and full of rejoicing. Now do you remember how the word translated afflictions in this verse, it indicated, remember this terminology, mental anguish. It meant that the, those afflictions just mentally affected us. Mental, and boy, what a descriptive word, anguish. We get worked up. We get so bothered by it. It's mental anguish. Well, as those problems and turmoil cause that, we observe here that this Greek word literally means quite the opposite. What does it mean? Well, the word means cheerful. It means a mind free from trouble. A mind free of and from trouble. I love that thought. It's not a perfect life. It's a peaceful mind. It's a peaceful mind. It's a well and happy mind, all of which, again, is the opposite of affliction. In fact, it may very well leave out circumstances being great and wonderful. It leaves out physical health being perfect. It leaves out life going perfectly smoothly. That's not indicated by the text. That's not what James is saying. Hey, if, life, if you had a good day today, hey, sing praises to God. Because honestly, if that's what James was saying, there'd be some weeks you and I don't ever sing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, when you have a mind free from peace, praise God. Now, how can you and I have a mind free from peace? Well, he really, we see just a progression already in this verse. Now, don't miss it tonight. I think this is crucial that James is trying to get across to you and I as believers. It's this. Listen carefully. Hey, prayer leads to peace. Is any of you afflicted? Pray. Prayer leads to peace. You know what peace produces? It ought to produce praise. Praise. In our lives as believers, for the God who has allowed you and I, in the worst of circumstances, facing the most ridiculous things, the difficult things, He releases through prayer, grace to us, peace that ought to produce, well, praise the Lord, I can have a peace of mind. What do we call it? A peace that passes all understanding, the Bible promises. And so it is. That's what James is hitting out even here in this passage for us. In other words, this question is not asking which one of us have everything going perfectly well. 
We might even say, and we do, that there's a progression found here, sometimes appears in our lives. When you are afflicted, you should pray, you receive grace and peace in our mind that God offers, and when you do, your mind will be at rest. It can be free of troubles. And it changes one heart's and mind, affecting our soul and bringing about cheerfulness, a happy response, and even in most cases, a happy countenance. Why? Because our mind is at rest. We all know what a troubled mind is like, don't we? When we've allowed a thought or an affliction or a trouble to enter in, something that has just knocked us off our path and our thinking, and boy, it has entered into our very thinking, and it has affected us, and we have troubled thinking, troubled thoughts. You know what? God doesn't want any of us to have that. If we're afflicted, He wants us to pray. And as we pray, He wants us to bring us to a point of merriment, being merry. And then if we are in turn merry because we've prayed and it's released peace, God says this, (laughs) praise Him. Sing praises to Him. It is a great progression that is presented to us. Notice it. That's where we come to this, as you understand it. The remedy given. What is it? Well, we see it here to praise God. Let him sing songs. Let him sing songs. This is a direct challenge to you and I to sing unto the Lord. It isn't just an Old Testament idea from David who was musical. It is in the New Testament that you and I sing unto the Lord. There's other passages. In fact, the Bible speaks of singing within the church, ministering to other songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So singing's an important part of being a Christian. A very practical, hey, I, I want to sing unto the Lord. It's why I love to hear our children sing songs. I love Patch and Pee Wee, and I love the, the junior church class, and they sing down there in the Sunday school, and I love it all. They sing. We have the choir. Boy, the choir done, uh, sung beautiful tonight with the orchestra playing. Fantastic. Hey, we are called and commanded and instructed to sing unto the Lord. And I enjoy singing with you folks as a congregation. I love singing a cappella. You know, even if we get off a little bit, it's okay. It's beautiful. Singing unto the Lord. Hey, we're called to do that. Listen, that is a natural flowing from the progression presented here. There's a great biblical illustration and example that I believe God would have us to look at tonight. In fact, here's what's neat about this example. It's the only other time that this Greek word, translated as Mary, is used in the Bible. It's only used in one other occasion. It's used a few times there. You'll see it. So let's turn there. Acts chapter number 27. Acts chapter number 27. Certainly we want to keep our spot here in James. We'll be right back. But Acts chapter 27, and as we get into the story, you'll know it. It's one of my favorite in the book of Acts. It's uh, certainly concerning Paul, and boy, what a challenge it is. We'll, we'll read in verse 1. We'll kind of fill in the gaps, and we'll skip down and, and look at some different uh, verses and get the whole general view of the story. Acts chapter 27. Look at verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. Okay? Fantastic. So what do we have? Paul's a prisoner, right? He's headed off to Rome. He's going to stand before Nero and stand trial. And we know it's not going to end well. And he certainly probably knows that. He's looking forward to it. But as we've seen even in our study in the book of Romans, he's looking forward to being a witness for the Lord there. But here he is. He's setting sail as a prisoner. Let's jump down to verse number 5, okay? And when he, we had sailed over the Sea of Sicily and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. You see that Myra. Myra was a seaport on the coast of Asia Minor. 
It's from here that Paul entered a ship and he sets off for Italy. And so into the larger sea, we understand that. Look down at verse 8. In hardly passing it, that's Crete, uh, they came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, that's an important key, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. So Paul speaks up. And he said unto them, Sir, I perceive that this voyage will um, be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading in the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now, interesting thought here. Paul and Moshe say, hey, we need a port here. We need to just stop. It's going to be too dangerous. Even the verse said it. It's gotten past the time of year which we should really be out on the sea. And it's going to be very, very dangerous. However, the centurion, he had the deciding vote. So instead of listening to Paul, he listens to the captain of the ship and said, ah, no, we can make it. We can, we can do this. And certainly we know he's a man because he said we can do it, right? And, uh, uh, hey, we can, ah, no, not a big deal. We can handle this. And, and so they do. That's exactly what the centurion does. And the, fa- the, the sad thing is they set sail and things go from bad to worse. Look down at verse 14. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurycladon. And many say that this is a hurricane-style, many uh, commentators do, a hurricane-style storm and wind. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive, kind of let her just go. And the running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, and had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the, the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest. In other words, they were seasick, right? And they tossed to and fro. The next day, they lightened the ship. Let's start chucking things over. What don't we need? We need to make the ship lighter. Look at verse 19. In the third day, we cast with our own hands the tackling of the ship. That's kind of something you need. Let's get rid of it. We've got to get rid of this. and We're, we're, we're going to save our lives. Verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away here's this journey and it's meeting with disastrous and yea fatal a fatal end all the occupants on the ship are terrified you can imagine what that boat ride got was like getting worse every day they're throwing things over they're they're trying to lighten lighten the ship excuse me and 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 all they see is it's getting worse it's getting worse it's getting worse we're gonna die literally there was no hope all hope was lost All they could think was death is right around the corner. Our ship is going to down and no one's going to be saved. But then Paul speaks up and we know, what does he say? He says this, be of good cheer. Now I'll tell you, if you go by circumstances, that is not the time to say be of good cheer. Okay, I mean, when things look dire and things are are horrendous and the outcome looks pretty sure that it's going to be bad, negative, fatal, you don't stand up and say be of good cheer normally. But that's exactly what we have him say. Don't let your hearts and mind be troubled. In fact, he doesn't say it once. He says it twice. Same word as Mary in James chapter 5. Not connected to circumstances. He says, hey, be good chair. Hey, have peace in your mind. Look with me, verse 22. Notice what he says. It was after verse 21, after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. 
And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Verse 22. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. And I like this next statement. You know why? For I believe God. For I believe God. Hey, I've prayed. I've talked with God. That's literally what has transpired. He says an angel stood next to him and, and told him, that he's going to have to be brought before Caesar and that God was going to save that whole ship. He's going to save all the, the occupants, the people sailing on it. He's going to, he heard from God. He believed God. Hey, can I tell you in that moment, you better believe that Paul was praying during this trip. Is any afflicted? Paul says, I was. <laughs> I, we took a trip to Italy and boy, it was the worst cruise ever. It was not what the brochure said it would be. It was horrible. Is any of you afflicted praying? I can guarantee you Paul was praying. And Paul, because he was praying, he heard from God. He had confirmation from God. And he stands up in the worst time ever. No hope. And he says, be of good cheer, men. Be of good cheer. You know what's neat? We know the story. I'm sure you remember it. He goes on from there. And though it didn't seem well, the situation did not look well at hand. Um, I can just imagine Paul. What does he do? Well, he encourages them to eat and take bread. In fact, he even stops and prays over the bread and gives thanks to God for delivering them before they were delivered. Now, I'll just tell you, knowing Paul, I, I think Paul probably was singing during this time too. See, Paul had, a, ha, had somewhat of a reputation at singing at the worst times. Philippian jail, you remember that? Him and Silas. Singing at midnight, and they prayed, the Bible says. Hmm. So here he is again, a terrible time. He's saying, be of good cheer. In fact, he says, you need to eat. Look back at verse 33, or head. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day. 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is your health, for there shall not be a hair fall in the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, and he gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Man, what a statement. What a testimony. And what's the outcome of all of them? Yes, they are physically delivered. Now, I want you to see this. But before that, before they were, got safely off of the ship and, and on land, the fact is this. There was a greater outcome that occurred. Look at verse 36. Then were they all of, hmm, good cheer. Wait a minute. They're not on land yet. In fact, the boat's going to have to basically be scullied, and they're just going to have to, they're just going to have to leave, and they're going to have, but they're all going to get on land, according to Paul, and the worst is yet to come, we might say in some ways. And what are they? Be of good cheer. Isn't it amazing what one person who has a peaceful mind can do? Isn't it amazing somebody who takes their afflictions and prays about it and then because of that prayer they have grace and they have peace of mind about a certain situation they can walk onto the ship and say, hey guys, guys, listen, hey, 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 be of good cheer. Come on guys, be, be of good cheer. In fact, let's eat. We'll praise God for what he's going to do. We need strength because he's going to deliver us and, and we should be of good cheer. And you know what happens? The guys say, oh, okay, yeah. This is going to turn out okay. My goodness, and they start, he starts to rub off on the they are of good cheer. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? 
You can change things at your workplace. You can change things in your family. You can change things among your friends and how things are looked at and and whether the, the cup is half full or half empty. You can affect that. Things aren't going well. There's, there's issues. There's problems. Boy, you can pray about it and let the peace of God flow in you and through you to others. You can encourage others to be of good cheer. That is the last occurrence, that verse, verse 36, it's the last occurrence of that Greek word. It's three times in this passage. Every time he says, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. And then verse 36, they heed what he said. They were of good cheer. We know the rest. That certainly God takes care of them and delivers them but paul knew something certainly about singing and praising god of being merry in the worst circumstances again acts chapter 16 verse 25 it was he and silas in that philippian jail they prayed and how does the bible put it they sang praises unto god when at midnight what we might call the darkest hour the worst time see prayer and praise are closely related both are essential to the christian life to every christian tell you this tonight you ought to pray and you ought to sing you ought to pray and you ought to sing christian believer child of god you ought to pray you ought to sing james says if your heart and soul are well and if you have peace in your mind you ought to have a song of praise on your lips what did we say a moment ago don't forget it prayer leads to peace and peace produces praise praise so it ought to be in every christian's life and heart mind there was a composer you probably know his name his name was franz joseph Haydn. he was credited and is often referred to as the father of the symphony the father of the string quartet in fact he was a friend of mozart he was a teacher of beethoven and because he had a faith in God, he, he believed that music ought to be composed, number one, to praise God and to edify one's fellow man, as he wrote. One day, there was a poet, Caprini, inquired of Haydn, his friend, why, now listen, why the church music he composed was always so cheerful. The great composer gave a well-informed reply. This is what he said. Notice it. He said, I cannot. Make it otherwise. I write according to the thoughts I feel. When I think about God and upon God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap as it were from my pen. And since God has given me a cheerful heart, it will be part of me that I serve him with such a spirit. I can't help it, man. It just comes off. And boy, I write it, and here he is writing it for you and I. We sh- it shouldn't we shouldn't be able to help but sing because god gives us peace can i tell you god wants to graciously give every believer a cheerful heart but sometimes there's a hindrance to that sometimes there's things that happen in our hearts and our lives and um, we need to identify what some of those hindrances are to uh, in our lives to doing exactly what james instructs sometimes we don't feel like singing Sometimes that peace of mind is stolen from us or or we let it slip away. We give it away. Some of the reasons, number one, here's one reason uh, that this is the remedy to hinder. The remedy is praising God, singing songs of praise to Him and praising Him. The remedy is often hindered here, number one, by this. We get caught up in asking and answering the why concerning the circumstances of life. 
See, we get caught up and we miss out on opportunities to praise God because we ask why. See, James is trying to teach us here that instead of asking why God sends so much rain and storms in our lives, why he might allow it, we would be better served to seek ways and means of using the rain and storms. Those tools, those triumphs, those uh, turning them into tadpoles, as we talked a, a moment ago, we'd be better served to look at it and, and treat it as such. One has rightly stated this, and boy, you ought, to, you ought to think about this, and you ought to write it down. Some young people, this would do you well to cling on to and hang on to. The question marks of life reduce it to sheer misery. The lot of unknowns about life. And if all you do is dwell upon the question marks of life, why this, why this, why this, why is this happening, why did this happen? It's going to bring you to misery. But the acceptance of God's directive and permissive will in our lives, you know what it does? It brings us closer to Him. Okay, I'm going to accept it because God's in control and, and He's going to give me peace of mind, though I might not have the answer to why He did this, why He allowed this, why this happened, why there's this affliction. I'm going to, just going to leave it in His hands and I'm going to accept that it's according to His directive and permissive will. And boy, that draws us closer to God, which is the ultimate end of prayer and praise. Great truth. That's how we do draw close to Him. What is it? Well, prayer and praise. Both affliction and merriment, don't miss this. Both affliction and merriment are here to stay. You ain't getting rid of them. See, you can take affliction and you can praise God for it, or you can curse God for it, but it isn't going to change its presence in your life. Afflictions are going to come and go. Days of peace and merriment are going to come and go. You're not going to change it by how you respond and react to it. And yet you can lose out on peace by doggedly pursuing the answer to why. You can miss out on the peace that God wants to flow in your life. Hey, number two, not only will we get caught up in asking and answering why um, concerning the circumstances of life, but number two, we are derailed from using the biblical remedies because there is sin in our hearts all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end, my friend, sin gets in the way. When there's sin that is harbored, whether it be the action of sin or the refusal to do what one knows is right, prayer and praise are hard-pressed to be employed in one's life. You can't pray when there's sin in your heart, harbored there, undealt with, unconfessed sin, whether it be with God or whether it be with your fellow man. I am often reminded that if you have aught with a brother, the Bible says to leave your sacrifice at the altar for God and go make it right. So if you've got sin in your life, it's not going to, you can't pray and you can't praise God like you ought to. Uh, it's not going to work. When such Christian disciplines are left undone, then it makes pray and prayer and praise, excuse me, literally impossible until that sin is dealt with. I like this statement, sin within the heart. Sin within the heart will cause a man to go anywhere but upward. When we entertain it, we harbor it, and we won't repent. Boy, sin in one's heart and life typically causes people to go anywhere but upward. And we say this about the Bible, and we ought to also say it about talking and walking with Christ just the same way. Either talking and walking with Christ will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from talking and walking with Christ. It will. 
So you don't, you can't praise God today and ah, tomorrow and the afflictions come and boy, you're, you're empty of praise. You ought to look and make sure there's not sin in your life. Because it will prevent you from walking and talking with Christ. Hey, number three, notice this. We are consumed. Another hindrance. Uh, I think this is so very true. We are consumed with the temporal, allowing this world to dominate our thoughts. You know why sometimes we fail to praise God as we should when He does give us peace of mind? We're so consumed with this world. If we truly were supposed to live for this world, if all that matters is this world and the things we do in it, then troubles and bad circumstances would absolutely serve no good. Afflictions would not be means of unleashing grace. It would just be a bother and a hindrance to us. We would try to avoid them. But that's not the case for you and I as believers. We are called to set our affections on things above, not on things here below. You see, one of the great benefits of prayer and praise is this it breaks the current of temporal worldly thoughts you and i can be so rooted tomorrow we get up and we go to work and we worry about breakfast we worry about driving and, and we worry about work and we get into the things of work and uh, we get to the daily stuff maybe we read the news and we start worrying about the politics in north korea and, and all this and we get so caught up in the things of this world but you know what prayer and praise does it breaks all that and it brings us back to thinking eternal. It, it interrupts that and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, believer, you are not of this world. Get your mind back on things above. Set your affections on things above. And it breaks that current like electricity or a water and a dam that breaks a, a river or whatever the case may be. It breaks it up. It stops us from being consumed with the temporal things of this world. It is why it is so crucial and necessary that every day you and I pray and we praise God. Because it helps remind us. It gets us reorientated. It prevents us from being consumed with the thoughts of this world. May I say this in response, if in response to affliction... I take a visit to heaven via prayer. My thoughts are no longer consumed by the temporal, but rather the eternal has been given priority. If in response to the well-being of my mind and having peace in my mind, I allow my heart and mouth to be employed in praise and worship to God, I have effectively set my affections on things above. But if the thoughts of this world consume me and they dominate my mind and heart, it prevents me from praying and praising God as I ought to do. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Let him praise God. But oh my friend, if all you and I are consumed on and with is this world, it'll prevent us from doing that. Number four. Here's another hindrance. We fail to truly embrace in our hearts that a Christian is not happy and merry because of what is going on around him, but rather in spite of it. See, there's a whole lot of lip service that's paid to this truth. There's much mental assent given to this truth. But having it rooted and deeply embedded in one's thinking, one's heart attitudes, is a whole different matter. Do you really believe what the Bible says in Job 35.10? God giveth a song in the night. I'll tell you, Paul and Silas believed that. Paul and Silas believed it. Many others did too. He gives a song in the night. The believer whose mind has stayed on God and experiences the peace of mind, the well-being of mind that comes from prayer and praises, is a believer that can go through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. 
He's the believer that can go through the valley of the shadow and death. And you know what he can do? He can still sing. Can I tell you, it has thrilled my heart to sit on multiple funerals and hear songs of praise and worship being sung at a funeral. How in the world can people get and come and when they're saying goodbye, yes, temporarily for us as Christians, we're saying see you later, but how can people come and sing songs of worship to God be the glory and things like that at a funeral? I'll tell you why. Because they have experienced the peace of God. And they've come to realize that circumstances don't dictate peace, but far from it, what God allows to flow in our heart. He gives us victory in those times. You say, well, Pastor Henry, I don't know all about that. Well, I'll tell you this. We know the antithesis is true, don't we? You know, there's many in the world. Hey, young person, there's many in the world that have it all. They have wealth. They have health. They have strength. They have riches. They have power. They have position. They have all the pleasures the world can afford. And yet some of those same people are the biggest grumblers and whiners and complainers the world has ever known. Sometimes they're the most discouraged and depressed. I saw a statistic many years ago. I can't remember the numbers, but basically it said this, that among those who are uh, affluent, they have riches, they have fame, they have whatever the case may be, the suicide rate is no less, it's greater. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Hmm. What does that tell you? All those things, they don't bring peace. They don't make one merry, give you a, a mind free from trouble. Oh, my friend, only the peace of God that flows from prayer does that. Can I tell you, sometimes we, we will say, yeah, yeah, I believe that, that circumstances don't dictate our happiness, but the fact is we actually live that way. We pay it lip service and mental assent. We don't really live it out. Young people, can I tell you, right now, to get it in your head and your heart, the outside does not determine the inside. The outside does not determine the inside. It ought to be for you and I as Christians that the harder the outside pull, the stronger and sweeter the music of the heart. Because we have peace through prayer that produces praise. Can I tell you this? If it is well with your soul, you ought to sing about it. You ought to sing about it. In spite of afflictions and troubles, you have a happy peace flowing from your mind. You ought to praise God in prayer and in song. God has put a song in your heart if you are a Christian, the Bible says. Don't let afflictions drown that song out. But rather, let that song come out. May I say one word to our teenagers? Hey, teenager, will you look at this way? Let me just say something. Many years of being a teenager, working with teenagers. Hey, young people too, I, I encourage you to listen carefully. Listen carefully. It is not cool to not sing. Did you catch that? Youth pastor, I'd see some guys in the back row, sometimes the front row, and they would think they were just too cool to sing. Can I tell you, you are never too cool to sing. It's not true. You are never too, I'll tell you what you possibly are. You're too carnal to sing. You're too carnal. It isn't your coolness factor that makes you, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a big guy on campus and I'm not going to sing. 
No, you aren't cool, you're carnal. Because God instructs you and I to sing. Now, young person, get a hold of that. There ought to be a song in your heart the rest of your life, and it ought to find full voice when you get to heaven. It ought to be there. You say, Pastor Henry, now, now, Pastor, Pastor, you have not heard me sing. You have, boy, you haven't sat next to me. To those who say, I can't sing, you know what it ought to stop you from doing? Don't sing a special. And just maybe you shouldn't sing in choir. You can ask Brother Aaron, okay? Just maybe. But I'll tell you this, now listen carefully. It ought to never stop you from singing out here. Ought to never stop you. You ought to make a joyful noise and lift it up and sing. Sing with all your lungs. Sing in your shower at home. Sing on your mower at home. If your wife doesn't want to hear you, get in the garage, get in your car and sing there. Sing to the Lord. Praise Him, the Bible says. And my friend, you and I have a whole lot of peace in our lives that God has given us. We ought to sing to Him. Whistle, sing, praise Him, glorify Him, play an instrument. Whatever the case may be, you can do it. Let the song within come boiling over. Thomas Fuller, he was a 17th century preacher. He was known for his preaching, but also his wit. And uh, he lived in England. One of the things he was well known for is saying, he said this, and I like this. He said this, there are two kinds of people, those who do the work and those who take the credit. Try to be in the first group, there's less competition there. That's pretty good. I like that. He was known also not to have the best voice. In fact, he said this. He says, I have a defective voice. <laughs> it's a recorded a prayer that he, he would say, and he prayed to God, and I like this. This is what he said, and I put it up here so you'd see it. He said this, Lord, he prayed, my voice by nature is harsh and untunable, and it is vain to lavish any art to better it. <laughs> In other words, don't give me lessons. It's not going to help. Can my singing of psalms be pleasing to thine ears, which is unpleasant to mine own? Man, what a great question. What honesty. I mean, here's a guy just down to earth. Oh, I can't sing. Notice what he says. He says this. Yet, though I cannot chant with the nightingale or chirp with the blackbird, I'd rather chatter with the swallow than to be all together silent. Can I tell you, Christian, I do not understand why some Christians don't sing. I don't understand it. And you may not sing well. That I can understand because I can't either. But I don't understand why you don't sing. He goes on. Now what my music wants in sweetness, let it have in sense. He finishes it up. Yea, Lord, create in me a new heart therein to make melody and i will be contented with my old voice until in due time be admitted into the choir of heaven i shall have another voice more harmonious bestowed upon me man what a great statement that's encouraging that's challenging that's convicting if you have a mind hey believer if you have a mind you can pray if you have a voice you can sing. And so we ought to pray and sing. Such is the path of the Christian journey. Prayer and praise. Tonight as we close, we're going to do those things. We're going to pray and we're going to praise. In just a moment, we're going to bow our head. The piano will begin playing. And I'd encourage you to think about some afflictions you're going through. 
You think about some difficult things, some things in your future. Maybe it's someone else. You want to pray about them for their affliction. The Bible says, is any afflicted, pray. So let's do that. And then in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of praise. We'll announce it to you, but we're going to lift our voices. We're going to leave here this evening praising God singing psalms to him. Join me in standing with heads bowed and eyes closed. You can certainly grab your hymn book to have it ready. I'll ask Miss Nancy. She'll come to the uh, piano here and we're going to